very high energy thank you should i go low energy what's the energy for these chapters i think we're like morose and somber hello everyone <laughs> welcome back to another episode of unwise girls i'm your fucking host i guess uh hello everybody welcome <clears throat> hello 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 everyone welcome back to another episode of unwise girls i'm your host jacqueline and i'm your other host jane how you doing today, Jane? I'm I'm doing good. I played a lot of fetch with my dog, and he is very tired now. That's so nice. I love doggy. Yeah. How are you today? I'm pretty decent. I uh have been fucking. You've been fucking all day. <laughs> That's very impressive. <laughs> all day. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing okay today. I'm really excited to get into these chapters. Folks, we're a Percy Jackson podcast. Currently, we are indeed. Not for much longer. Oh God, yeah. Soon we will be a Kane to... Chronicles broadcast. Maybe we should call ourselves a Riot Inverse podcast. At that point, I feel like I feel like nobody knows about the Kane Chronicles. I didn't know I about think... the Kane Chronicles until we started doing this. Yeah, I'll probably go with Riot Inverse or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, for now, Percy Jackson, plain and simple, simple and clean. You and I, it's a new land, angels Wait, in flight. What? Hang on a second. If there's going to be up? a Disney Plus show uh-huh. for Percy Jackson. Oh, crap. <laughs> you invoked it. It could happen. Everyone. <laughs> what Jane is saying is that Percy Jackson could be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's much worse and more cursed than what I was saying. <laughs> I think what Jane is saying is that Percy Jackson could be in the next Star Wars movie. That would be cool, actually. That would actually be, be pretty that. cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, uh, this this whole podcast started with us reading Rick's Star Wars fan fiction, so uh huh. it would come full circle. So, today we read chapters three to five of The mm-hmm. Last Olympian. Jane, how about you hit us up with those chapter summaries? I will indeed read these summaries that it definitely did not take me three days to write that's okay (laughs) all right chapter three i get a sneak peek at my death percy gets back to camp and breaks the news about beckendorf's death everyone is upset by this but silena beauregard most of all collapsing into a sobbing heap to be comforted by clarice who it seems has built a bond with silena between books percy also informs the reader about the sad state of the camp between deaths, defections, and monsters stopping recruitment, there are fewer than a hundred campers left, and tensions are emerging between them. Speaking of tension, Percy then talks to Annabeth, who has arrived along with Chiron. Percy tells him that Poseidon has given him permission to finally see the full prophecy about the child of the Big Three. So Chiron sends the two of them into the attic of the Big House to retrieve it. After sharing an awkward moment, Percy and Annabeth take the prophecy, which is written on a piece of parchment around the mummified oracle's neck, and then bail as fast as they can. In their rec room slash war council chamber, they find Clarice arguing with Michael Yu, Lee Fletcher's replacement as Apollo cabin leader. 
The other camp counsellors are, are there too, watching the argument with concealed mirth, except Selina, who is staring blankly into a mug of hot chocolate. Annabeth says she'll explain later what's going on between them, and the argument ends with Clarice saying that Ares' cabin won't take part in missions until whatever the issue is, is resolved, and storms out. Percy then, finally, reads the prophecy. A half-blood of the eldest gods shall reach sixteen against all odds, and see the world in endless sleep. The hero's soul, cursed blade, shall reap. A single choice shall end his days, Olympus to preserve or raise. Percy is understandably not pleased to find out that he's going to die in less than a week. The conversation then turns to the spy, and the cabin leaders agree to watch out for someone with a scythe pendant similar to Kronos's. And that's not even the bleakest news. Chiron then shows the room a vision of the gods battling Typhon, who has emerged from Mount St. Helens and is now marching across America towards Mount Olympus, leaving a trail of natural disasters in his wake. The combined power of almost every Olympian is barely slowing him down. And worse, Percy suspects that this might not even be Kronos' endgame. He might have something even worse up his sleeve. Chapter 4. We Burn a Metal Shroud Percy has a dream about Rachel Elizabeth Dare, throwing darts at a picture of him alongside a pair of paintings. One of Percy, just when he defeated Antaeus, and another of a young Luke, inspired by a dream of her own. Her dad enters the room and tells her that they'll be leaving the next day, without Percy. With no way to get to a phone and call her before she leaves, Percy isn't able to ask Rachel about the portrait of Luke, or what relevance it might have. Instead, he does cabin inspection with Annabeth, which shows us the sorry state of the camp. Apollo kids are pestering the Ares cabin from a flying chariot, which Annabeth tells Percy is the reason for their feud. Apollo cabin nabbed it during a raid, but the raid was organised and led by the Ares kids, so both sides believe it's theirs. We also learn that Grover has completely dropped off the grid, and even Percy's empathy link won't show him what's going on with him. Percy then mentions the dream about Rachel, which leads to an argument where Annabeth calls Percy a coward, seemingly for not biting the bullet and asking her out. Beckendorf's funeral is miserable. His chain-link shroud is burned, and Percy attempts to comfort Silena by telling her about how he looked at the picture of her before they went onto the cruise ship. His chain-link shroud is burned, and Percy attempts to comfort Silena by telling her about how he looked at the picture of her before they went onto the cruise ship. Clarice is there, and while she sympathises with the idea of making sure Beckendorf didn't die in vain, she won't commit to fighting again, because she feels that the chariot incident is one instance of disrespect too many for Ares' cabin to tolerate and still fight. Exhausted by his terrible day, Percy leaves to go and see Mrs. O'Leary. Chapter 5. I Drive My Dog Into a Tree Percy takes the hellhound for a walk into the woods, and runs into a bizarre trio. Juniper, Linnaeus, who is one of the satyrs who tried to get Grover banished, and Nico D'Angelo. Nico offers to watch Mrs. O'Leary while Percy talks to Juniper and Linnaeus, who are fighting over what to do about Grover's disappearance. Juniper is imploring the Council of Cloven Elders to do something about it, but as far as they're concerned, Grover is a traitor and a heretic, and they're glad to see the back of him. Things aren't going well for them either. Many centaurs are shirking their authority to follow Grover's teachings, and the other two members of the council are missing. Percy threatens Linnaeus to try and get him to pitch in and find Grover, and the old satyr responds by running away, just as Nico returns. Juniper also leaves, worried that Mrs. O'Leary will mistake her for a tree and pee on her. Percy and Nico then get to talking. Nico has apparently met Beckendorf's ghost and assures Percy that he doesn't blame him for what happened, 
and he's now chilling out in Elysium waiting for someone else. Percy also finds out that Nico has made little progress in uncovering the mysteries of his past, but that's not why he's here. He needs Percy to make a decision on whether or not he's going along with his super dangerous plan, and he needs to know now. After some pressuring, Percy finally caves and agrees, and Nico informs him that the first step is to go and see Luke's mother, and that Mrs. O'Leary, being a hellhound, can get him there quickly, travelling through the shadows. Percy climbs on her back and sets off as Mrs. O'Leary leaps at a tree and disappears. So, what do you think of these chapters? So, we're just getting... Shit's just getting real, huh? Yeah, it's... These are... These chapters do such a good job of really capitalizing on that bleak tone that we got in the first couple. This is really capturing that feeling, you're right, of like the war and its direct impacts on camp life and all these kids in a really excellent way, I'd say. Oh, definitely. Like I think, uh-huh. No, you go. I think maybe the most direct example of that that I would say is like, we've talked a lot about like the inter-cabin politicking in the series, usually yes. in terms of capture the flag. But this isn't capture the flag anymore, and we got we mm-hmm. got like the high boiling point now of like all the cabins, all the representatives are just like butting heads with each other, forming these little conflicts, all having their own places within the war. It's really good to see. Yeah, it's it's what we were kind of threatened with during Lightning Thief when it looked like there was going to be a war between the gods and the cabins were all like allying up and attacking each other. Yeah. Shit's finally gotten bad enough that it's, you know, it's gotten out of hand and it's actually happened. The cabins are in open conflict. And the horrible thing of it is that this is in a time when they would need to be most united. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's true. Like, Like, a war can unite people for sure, but also it brings so much tension that would just so directly affect these kids in a really negative and they are all kids let us not yeah like it it It, strains everything that currently exists to its breaking point and this does such a good job of like showing that and bringing across like the impact of the war without even like i mean we've had like big action scenes showing the scale of the war so far mm -hmm. but i think this just showing us the effect it's having on the camp is like the best way of articulating how awful it is we don't see the camp a lot. I mean, well. No, that's true. We It's never really been the focus of a book. But at the same time, like, it's so important for being the center of, like, all demigod activity. And basically being, like, the main hub for all of these children who the series revolves around. Yeah, exactly. Like, even... Even when we have, like, Sea of Monsters where the camp is kind of fucked and the uh, the protections are failing, it's still a relatively safe base for the demigods to strike out from to try and do something about it. Yeah. So to see these, like, tensions boiling over into, like, oh no, like, the threat is no longer just outside, it is also the people in here. And even that, it's not just, like, the intercamp politics, we've got a spy running around as well. We do. Now, I guess I should ask, do you have any updated thoughts on who the spy was? 
I don't think so. I don't think we've really gotten a lot of... De- well, actually, we do get one uh, part of this this set of chapters, which I think has given me some kind of an idea of what it might be. Go ahead. I think that it's Annabeth. Okay. But she doesn't know it. I think yes. she has some kind of keepsake from Luke that she has refused to get rid of that is covertly linked to that pendant that Kronos has. And he's been I using could... that to mine information. I could absolutely see that. The other... We, pr- we proposed Annabeth as the spy last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but the person... The other person... But the other person who he suggested was Silena Beauregard. And... Yeah. I think that's becoming less likely... I don't think that's the case. It would be... I think these chapters have really hammered home what we said as a caveat to that last week, which was it would be... It would kind of undermine a lot of the sadness and grief from Beckendorf's death if it Mm -hmm. turned out to be her. And she is definitely at the center of that through these chapters. So if she suddenly does like an evil villain speech later, it'll feel a a bit disingenuous, I think. Absolutely. I do think that there is there is an extent I do think that there is an extent to which I was thinking that like Beckendorf probably isn't really dead. Mm-hmm. Um but these chapters kind of put that away for me. Because I mean we've I mean right after Beckendorf dies, we run into the other character who was in a boat explosion and then turned out fine. Uh-huh. So yeah, there there was definitely room there as far as the series is concerned for it to just say, nah, he's alright. But in like chapter four, they burn his burial shroud, and there's there, and there's this explicit shout out to like, oh, the fates are probably helping this along. The fates because are helping this along. Nico shows up next chapter and says that he's had a chat with Beckendorf's ghost. Uh huh. So yeah, he's pretty firmly in the ground. This is, this is like war party central. Like I think that um. The conflict between Apollo Cabin and Ares Cabin is so, like, petty. But it also makes so much sense with what's been established so far in the series about these cabins. Yeah, it's not petty in a way where you're like... Well, there's a little, there's an element of it that's like, you need to stop fighting over this bullshit, it's not important. But it's not as if the story is, like, overblowing something seemingly inconsequential just to create an obstacle for the characters like it's completely believable because clarice is like kind of right like yeah Ares cabin get used as cannon fodder we saw that in battle of the labyrinth we did and even before that like they're kind of always on the even though they're like the jerk bullies they're also just kind of like ostracized a little bit yeah definitely we saw that even from clarice like, we hear this bit that's like, oh, Clarice calls her cool new electric spear Mamer, but everyone behind her back calls it Lamer. And, like, <laughs> is this the time? I don't, you know? yeah. I feel like one of the interesting things about Clarice is that, like, Percy and a lot of the characters seem to treat her like a stereotypical asshole bully character. Yeah. But I think, like, as for what we actually see Clarice doing, 
she's repeatedly proven that that's not the case and she's kind of being unfairly judged. Absolutely. Like, I think... I... Her relationship with Silena here is such a good part of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just nice to see, like, their specific dynamic happening. Like, the way that Clarice is, like... Like, stop crying. Like, she's like, come with me, girl. Uh... Which is a very, like, awkward, like, kind of awkward phrasing, mm-hmm. but is also, like, very Clarice, it feels like. Yeah, I, do, I can definitely see that. I don't know. There's a lot that's like, oh, yeah, it's they have a fun, they have that fun little dynamic, which is even emphasized by, like, oh, one of them is from Ares Cabin, one of them is from Aphrodite Cabin. This would be a really good romance. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that while I was reading it. I was also thinking it might be a bit soon. Uh, I mean, it certainly would be, <laughs> but I can I can have my fan fictions in my head I, about it. Listen, you can write a two years later fan fiction about this. I certainly can, unless something terrible happens to Clarice, I guess. Uh. In which case, I can write a "Everybody Lives at You." Yep. Listen, it's it's what she deserves. It is. Uh, let me see, let me see, let me see. Ooh, I know what we need to do. What's that? We need to do our Prophecy Prediction Corner. The Prophecy Prediction Corner. We couldn't really do it last week because Annabeth was kind of an asshole and wouldn't tell us the whole prophecy until the end. Yeah, so now we've got the perf- So now we've got the full text and we can peek through it and make our predictions as we always do. Yeah. So, let's start with the very first line. A half-blood of the eldest gods. So, I mean, that's pretty clear-cut. That means the big three, right? It it definitely seems to. You have more mythological knowledge than me. You might know if there's like, oh no, technically this god is older. Uh, I mean, there are some instances of that. It really kind of depends. But I, I think it's... An, but I think it's like a decent conclusion to say that this is probably one of the big threes kids. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because that's what's been hinted at for the entire series. Yeah, I guess it's it would be kind of ridiculous to think that like the Olympians shat themselves over this po- this prophecy so badly that they decided to stop having kids, mostly. Um, but didn't check through it um, enough to check that there were any loopholes about which gods it might be. Uh-huh. Like, this doesn't seem like the scenario where it's going to be like, oh, Aphrodite is actually super old. Um, and also, kind of that pre- would kind of suck as a twist. Well, I mean, like, it, it's mytho- like, it can be sometimes mythologically accurate. Oh, I see. But, like, if it, it's like... Silena ends up being like the <laughs> half blood like that'd be kind of odd. I think Silena's like eighteen anyway. I think I most think of the true. camp counselors are like older than Percy. Yeah, so if we're saying like who is this prophecy about, probably Percy. Well most certainly. Shall I reach sixteen against all odds? That's like that's self explanatory. Mm-hmm. There have been many odds up until now. That's true. Many odd things have happened. Many improbable 
many things have been done against improbable odds. That's right. Uh, and see the world in endless sleep. Okay. What the fuck? Okay. <laughs> so the world in endless sleep. Here's my guess. Okay. We know that the minor gods have joined with Kronos. Yeah. Probably partially because they are, they're always referred to as minor gods. Yeah, I don't imagine they like that very much. But one of those who's explicitly called out as having joined was uh, Morpheus. Ooh, yeah, yeah. The, the god of sleep and dreams and such. Mm-hmm. So this could be a situation where, like, Morpheus puts the whole world to sleep while, like, Olympus is invaded or something. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a cool idea, although I don't know how you'd get around the endless sleep clause bit. I wonder if maybe what would happen is Percy would go to, like, maybe Morpheus has his own domain. So Percy's going to have to go to this, like, dream world. Oh, that'd point. be interesting. Yeah. yeah, I could. I think that'd be pretty Actually, cool. Actually, uh-huh. wait, half this fucking series is talking about people's dreams or describing Percy's dreams. So maybe it wouldn't actually be that novel. Ah, uh, yeah, but we, don't, <laughs> we, we, we haven't been to like a sleep world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, okay, so the hero's soul cursed blade shall reap. Now, I'm a little confused. I kind of thought that had already happened. Uh, how so? Because... Kronos takes his big cursed blade and stabs Percy with it and says that his soul is coming out. Yeah, that's not reaping, though. That's like... Percy got, like, nicked by it. Yeah, I suppose. I think that's not good enough. Also, uh, I find it very strange that Percy's first thought was like, oh, the cursed blade must be riptide. I can see it because, like, that's kind of been his relationship to it with, like... His feelings on, uh, like, Thes- or Hercules, rather. And, like... True. Sort of its legacy. I- I'm not saying that it shouldn't occur to him. I'm just saying it's weird that that's the first thing that occurs to him when, like, a few hours ago, the king of the evil gods attacked him with a giant scythe. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, for sure. Um, I just feel like... It's not a huge thing. I just feel like those two... Like, revelation, well, not revelation, speculation should have been the other way around. I think if we're, like, talking about it, like, it could also represent something with, like, Percy's kind of self-doubt. Ooh. Like, you know, maybe maybe my own sword will be the downfall. Maybe I'm the one who, you know, I mean, like, he's kind of had those yeah, feelings yeah. the whole time, especially with since the whole idea is that when this kid reaches 16, shit's gonna get fucked up. True, true. Speaking of which, a single choice shall end his days, Olympus to preserve or raise. Mm-hmm. So, I assume that little seal thing is going to come back, or whatever it was. The sea cow. Oh, yeah, uh, that could be right. It could be It could be another option, too. Maybe, like, maybe they won't have it be Bessie or whoever. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, maybe so. Like, Hmm. I'm reading this and I'm like it says a half blood of the eldest gods shall reach 16 against all odds 
and see the world in endless sleep, the hero's soul cursed blade shall reap. That seems like, is it possible that the hero is referring to someone else? I think that might possibly have to be the case. Because, spoiler time, we do know that Percy doesn't die. Percy, yes, that's right. He shows up in other spin-off books in the series. Unless there's a ghost, I guess, but, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. He probably doesn't die. And (laughs) I feel like he would need someone else to stand in to have a single choice that will end his days. Ooh, maybe it's Luke. If it's Luke? I I would love if it was Luke. Yeah, because, I mean, his soul kind of got raped already when Kronos pinched his body. Yeah. So he might have a last-minute change of heart. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how chronological all these things are. Mm-hmm. I imagine fairly chronological. That's how they've been up to now. But, like, we've been hyping up a Luke uh, face turn pretty much this entire series. Or Luke do anything challenge. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff. <laughs> let's be let's be honest. He, he's but, been sidelined for a lot of it. But yeah, you're right. He's been a bit more active recently. Yeah, I mean, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, like, I think that, especially with how much we were talking about last book, I think that him having, like, his heroic return in this final moment, that could be really effective. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do not know what the single choice could be. Yeah, I, I, at the minute, with with lack of any other, uh, with the lack of any other information... Actually, it probably isn't Bessie. Yeah, probably not. Because the reason that that was, like, a risk with Thalia was because she had, like, a definite motive to try and destroy the gods. Yes. Which Percy doesn't really have. No. So it would have to be a situation where, like, he has something threatened, and if he doesn't destroy the gods, etc. Well, let's read the verbiage here. Uh-huh. A half-blood of the eldest gods shall reach sixteen against all odds, and see the world in endless sleep. The hero's soul, cursed blade, shall reap. A single choice shall end his days, Olympus to preserve or raise. I think it's possible the last two lines could refer to the hero instead of the half-blood. Yeah, if we're assuming they're two different people, which I think is definitely a valid reading of the prophecy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's definitely... So... so should we, like, come to an overall conclusion about what our predictions on this are? Okay. Uh, my my blue truth uh, is that Percy, uh, now that he's 16, is going to have to go to the realm of Morpheus and do something big. Uh, meanwhile, Luke is going to uh, have this uh, final choice, like, before his death, I'm guessing. Uh-huh. Uh, a single choice shall end his days. Uh, and maybe he'll make a heroic face turn. Yeah, I think I basically agree with all of that. Especially because, like, that's kind of been Luke's whole story, right? Has been, like, I want to burn down Olympus. Yeah, he's that's been his thing from the start, but we've definitely seen, like, enough doubt from him, especially in book four. Face turn possible. I'm excited to see how this goes. Yeah, me too. 
now that we're out of the prophecy prediction corner, how about we talk about some of the stuff that happened in the next chapter? Yeah, definitely. We get some. We're getting some spicy Percy um, Annabeth shipping content here. I'd imagine that at the time this drove ship people who shipped them crazy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like this is the good shit for sure. We got all sorts of romantic conflict in here, and get, and this time, folks, I know you all out there read the Titans Curse with us, but this time it's good. It's time for angst. It's time for angst. It's time for love triangles. It's time for uh, awkward phone calls. It's time for dreams. It's time for Percy Jackson being a total coward. It's uh, time It's time for Tuni rights. <laughs> yes. Explain. Rachel Elizabeth Dare is wearing a kimono. She is absolutely a Tuni. She has that energy. Do you mean Tuni or Weeb? I was under the impression that there was a lot of overlap. No, no. Tuni means like eighth grade century. That's like when you're like, when you're like a middle schooler. I draw a microphone. That's uh. when you're like a middle schooler and you're like, oh, my cursed demon hand. And like, you know what I mean? Or like, I have eyes that can see people's auras, that kind of thing. See, the thing is, I think Rachel is kind of like, what if that but real? Because she can see through the mist. She does have a power no one else has. That's true. She also, <laughs> seems, she also seems to have like minor, like, prophetic stuff, maybe? Yeah, she certainly seems to be able to look into the future kind of a little bit. So she's not Chuni. She's just she's just uh, a rich white girl <laughs> who likes to wear kimonos. Who also can't does have superpowers. All right, so we're landing on Weeb. Yeah, I'll, I'll say Weeb. What kind of anime is Rachel like? Hmm. All right, I'm Googling the Battle of the... Uh, no, wrong book. The Last Olympian. This book... This book came out in 2009. Yep. I'm now looking up 2009 anime. Yeah, I'm afraid this isn't an area of expertise for me. Uh, we've got anime such as Naruto Shippuden the movie, The Will of Fire. Yeah, definitely, I think. Evangelion 2.0, you cannot advance. I need to watch those Evangelion movies. You think so? I mean, might as well. I guess so. Oh, Dragon Ball Z Kai started. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Hmm. Do we think that Rachel Elizabeth Dare's taste is good enough for her to be into that? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um... But I'm tempted I guess to say something absolutely awful. What is that? Are you talking I about like Fujoshi Rachel Elizabeth Dare? Listen, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, read your mind. It was worse than that, even, but related. What was it? I was going to say she's definitely the kind of person who watches Full Metal Alchemist and ships Ed and Al. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think Fujoshi, Rachel Elizabeth Dare, is definitely on the cards. You know what? Fujoshi writes, I think. 
tell me your opinions on this uh, whole interpersonal tangle that we got going on here. Uh, I think it's definitely like improved dramatically from where it was mm-hmm. by like actually giving Rachel some kind of feelings towards Percy. Yes. And I like that, like, it's not just... Annabeth's frustration with him and calling him a coward is not just, like, a thing for her. It does seem to actually be a pattern. Because Rachel also seems to be quite frustrated with Percy's lack of commitment to any kind of relationship because she is throwing darts at a picture of his face. Yeah, and she was like, when are you going to kiss me? Please, come on, I'm literally telling you. (laughs) Uh, This is kind of a pattern for him, you're right, because I don't want to say it, but like Calypso. Yeah, oh god, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. I don't know if that's like, I feel like that must play into it somewhat, like whether that's more for the pattern or whether that is like Percy doesn't feel like I I assume there's a lot to it. Percy probably thinks he's going to die soon, right? Like, we yeah. know that. So I doubt he's very interested in, like, making people more attached to him than they already are. That's a very good point. But Like, he's time... just seen what Beckendorf's death did to Silene Beauregard. So that mm-hmm. would be, like, an understandable reaction. But at the same time, it's like, he is very much, like limiting his life and like kind of stopping his relationships with other people for it Mm -hmm. he's like diving out of the way of very obvious and pointed questions from Annabeth about it Uh uh-huh and so I think that like there is definite justification whereas like compare that to like the first chapter in like the Battle of the Labyrinth where like they met and and Annabeth was all like what were you two doing in that alley and like nothing, I just met this person for the second time. Uh huh. <laughs> so I do enjoy it a lot more here. Yeah, it's it's one of those elements that's definitely improved. Uh, Actually, I, kind of think, the... I think that's kind of something we can say about this series as a whole. Uh huh. Is that like a lot of stuff that we like really ragged on when it was first introduced, like improved dramatically as it went. Like the romantic subplots, like Tyson's portrayal is a big one. Just, I don't have a big point here. I just feel like Rick did a good job of improving his writing. You're right. Like, if nothing else, Rick Riordan is a. If nothing else, Rick Riordan is a writer who gains momentum. Hmm. And just like goes full force into it. Absolutely. And luckily, that sometimes results in some pretty good stuff. Hell yeah. I guess speaking of romance. Speaking Jane... of. Oh. Jane, I have to confess something to you. Oh, God. I'm getting down on one knee. Right. And I'm saying it's not technically... Uh, oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> Tell us about the DNA thing. <laughs> so, uh, in chapter four, uh, Rick Ryden finally clarifies a point that i think we have actually joked about before probably which is hey isn't everyone here related isn't this kind of a little bit fucked up Uh uh-huh uh where he clarifies that the gods do not have dna 
Uh-huh. And therefore, half-bloods cannot be blood relatives. Right. Which... Which... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I understand, and I agree, the... but maybe the weirdest possible way to clarify... This was, like, a necessary clarification. But also... Like, it, it needed to happen. But, but also, yeah, it's very strange. If it had been, like, you know, the gods are, like... The specific, like, justification of, like, they don't have DNA, so it's fine. I don't think that's... I don't think people were worried about, like genetic problems yeah it has very like step bro what are you doing energy a little bit <laughs> and like <laughs> oh god it's but i think it kind of made it worse a little bit honestly or like i could have oh, okay seen it. no okay I, I could see this making it worse for someone but also i think there's a point where it's like these are kids who are at the same camp with each other. These aren't, like, siblings who grew up with each other. Yeah, they're not, like, raised that way. There's not any of that kind of baggage to it. Even, like, the ones in the same cabin rarely are are usually just, like, mates who meet up at summer camp. And that's the relationship they have. And, like, I I do like that there's a clarification of, like, but don't worry, the people in the same cabins don't date. Yeah, that's... I'm glad that they recognize that that would be weird. Yeah. Um, I think that's all we need to say about that. Let's talk about Grover. <laughs> yeah, let's let's move on to everybody's favorite goat boy. Favorite? Question all mark. Right. Jane, tell us about your favorite goat boy. Uh, Grover is off the fucking grid. He's uh-huh. gone. <laughs> He's... He has shredded his credit cards. He is living in a hostel somewhere. He is not answering Percy's empathy link calls. Grover has officially formed a cult. (laughs) And, like, to be fair, he's right. But, like... Sometimes a cult is simply correct. Yeah, I mean, of course. But... It's undeniable. He is because... It's interesting. This is an interesting development for his character because he's become, like, a leader within, like, satyrdom. He is only only gaining more Jesus energy, I feel. Mm-hmm. Like, it... That's... Like, him... Bas- he's basically, like, talking about a New Testament to... Like, the way that they've worshipped Pan before. Which, admittedly, the New Testament is Pan fucking died. But still. But still. It's... I guess it's, like, Pan died. Now, go, like, do things. Um, Yeah. Which is, like, the opposite of what they were doing before. Where it was, like, we hope Pan's not dead. Let's not do things. Exactly. So, I think this is really the best place this character could have gone... Yeah, yeah, we've, I mean, we've talked a lot about, like, it kind of feels like Grover ran out of shit to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, shunting him off in this way 
you know, it makes sense. I do quite like that there's a line where um, Percy remarks that he felt like he'd been growing distant to Grover. And that, you know, that still kind of hurt. Oh, yeah, because Percy's best friend was Grover for a few years there. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, not insignificant. But yeah, it also I, I... is, like... <laughs> what? I almost feel kind of bad that we were, like, rooting for him to get written out of the series. And then we got exactly I... what we wanted, and it made Percy sad. Yeah, poor kid. <laughs> I don't feel bad about it for Grover, though, necessarily. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I like Grover. He's a fine character, but... He certainly exists. Yeah, I mean... The thing is, is that, like... Percy... Like, this is more of a thing for Percy's character here than for Grover. Mm-hmm. Uh, insofar as, like, the the effect it has on the story, I feel like. Um yeah. So I'm glad that he's, like, got his own little thing to do now. I'm glad that it does make me sad that, like, Percy's this kid. He doesn't, he, you know, I'm glad it was portrayed this way, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. With, with regards to Percy. Uh, do you have any big points you want to bring up? I do. I I have some speculation about what Nico's plan is. Okay, go ahead. I think that he's going to dunk Percy in the River Sticks. Okay, you think that he's going to do some, uh... You think that he's going to do an Achilles? Yeah. Well, because, like, you know, Kronos' body seems to be basically immortal. It got exploded with several tons of explosives, and he's still fine. Yeah. So, the only real response to that is for Percy to also make himself immortal. That was also what I was imagining, because they do say, like, something, something, something invulnerable. Yeah, and like, it makes sense for that to be like a Nico specific plan because obviously he's Hades' kid. For Nobody sure. else really has access to the River Sticks. Yeah, I'm I curious wonder... about what the the danger element is. Well, I mean, they have to get into the underworld, mm-hmm. but I guess that's not too too hard. I mean, Percy's um, been twice, uh-huh. once with permission, even. Yeah, and. Then they need to go... Well, what's the deal with, like, Luke's mom? What's that all about? Yeah, I've got no idea about that. Unless it's, like, finding, like, a childhood teddy bear to distract him with while Percy beats his head in. <laughs> I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean... I feel like the reveal that's going to come, like, next chapter is that, oh, Luke's mom is really nice, right? Uh, I accidentally flipped over um, one of those pages while I was looking for chapter five. Uh huh. And like the one piece of dialogue I caught a glimpse of was like, oh, hello. And it's like Luke's mom giving Percy a hug. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I think that's definitely where we're heading. Because the title of the next chapter is like, my cookies are burned or something like that. Uh huh. Which is like, okay. So we've kind of had that whole, I mean, we can talk about more when that actually happens. But, like, I'm curious how it all plays into the big plan. Mm-hmm. I'm also curious how this buff will do for Percy. But I'm yeah, excited for, like... Uh-huh. I, making him, like, immortal would be, I guess, not that weird a decision, because he's not the main character going forward in these books. Invulnerable. Oh, right, is he still, like, age and die? Yeah. I see. Hmm. 
I see what you're saying, though. Um, it makes me wonder, like, if Percy has like a lot of debuffs, like like a lot of lingering debuffs. Like uh-huh. Ares was like, I'm gonna curse you in battle forever, and like well, Atlas. I don't. Uh-huh. I feel like that might have actually happened already. That's expired. Yeah, that was in the Titans Curse, I guess. Yeah, because what Ares said was specifically at one point where you need your sword most, it's going to fuck up on you. Uh-huh. And it happened there. So I feel like Ares is done with him now. But like He's, Antaeus, he's got this kind of flesh. Antaeus called down a curse on him. True. Uh, fucking Atlas is constantly cursing his name. God, I, gonna... <laughs> I don't know why, but I, I just love what has happened with atlas uh-huh and how like every time we go to mount tam like in battle of the labyrinth you can still hear him like shouting and swearing from up on top of the mountain and in the vision in this book like the titans are talking and atlas is like no let me out from here please god someone else hold this and they're just like shut the fuck up you had your chance they're just like building a pillar around him <laughs> If if they simply build a wall around Atlas, they won't have to hear him anymore. Well, yeah, they're just going to soundproof it. It's not for, like, defensive purposes or anything. They're just sick of all the shouting. God, yeah. No, <laughs> it's it's very funny. I'm yeah. really excited for, like, the beginning of Percy and Nico's bizarre adventure, For to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Nico is a character who has, like, shown up a lot in various books, but he's never uh-huh. been a full-on, like, main character, I think. And we've been so I'm excited for him for to finally absolutely. The dream team, to be honest, is Percy, Nico, and Clarice for this book. Oh, for sure. It simply will not happen, though. Probably not. I mean, yeah, I feel like Clarice's deal is probably going to be more staying back at Camp Hotspot, especially because she's friends with Silena now. Uh huh. And it'd be kind of weird to establish that and then have her like disappear and not interact with Silena for most of the book. Yeah. Uh, I think that's about it. Yeah, I don't... Let me let me have a flip through and see if there's anything else I wanted to mention. Okay, I've got, like, two minor points, and then we can wrap up and do our segment. Uh-huh. So, first thing, when, like, Percy and Annabeth are doing the cabin inspections, and, like, they talk to Silena, and she's, she's eating a box of chocolates, and she offers them one... Percy asks, oh, are they any good? <laughs> Which, it, it's it's such a weird reaction, and it's not acknowledged by the story that the polite thing to do would just be, oh, yeah, thank you, and take it. Especially when she's, like, clearly grieving. Yeah, it's like, I mean, oh, Percy, wait, is your dad's chocolate shit? It's that kind of exact, like, Percy, like, does not know how to handle such social situations very well. He's very like, oblivious. It's the epitome of that kind of thing, and I always enjoy seeing it. Yeah, definitely. Also, I really want to read like a romance story about like Silena's dad and Aphrodite now. Yeah, that seems like it'd be kind of neat. I feel like that's although so actually, cute. given what we know about Aphrodite's character, I don't, I don't know how that would go. Actually, I feel like she's not terrible to everyone. Probably. I mean, she fucked with Percy and Annabeth's lives just for her own entertainment. Yeah, but that was funny, though. 
It was an epic prank. It was so epic. She recorded it for Godtube. <laughs> it, it was slotted in as right opposed after. To, as opposed 17. to Hephaestus, who records Ares and Aphrodite for Godhub. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, which apparently, according to the... <laughs> Apparently, according to book one, they have playing 24-7. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> I mean, live your dream, I guess, but... I, guess, I mean, they do live in, like, constant hedonism up there, so... Kinda. I guess it makes sense. Yeah. You know, good for them. Uh, also... Uh-huh? Percy says when he leaves the attic that he didn't know it at the time, but that was the last time he would ever set foot in there. Oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, I mean, again, we know he's not gonna, probably not gonna die. Uh huh. But that, if you were just going into this book blind and didn't know about the rest of the series, that would be such a good tension building line. Oh, absolutely. Like, that's happened a few times. Rick has done that for like a couple different books. He doesn't Mm -hmm. use it too often, though. So yeah, definitely. it still works pretty well. Mm-hmm. So shouts to shouts to Rick Riordan, you've done a funny writing. You did it. All right, I think that's everything. I think that's everything. So let's uh, drop everything and go to our uh, favorite segment. Hey, what the uh, fuck have you just sent me? Ah! <laughs> what is it? Did Did you mean <laughs> to send this to me? Yes. Jacqueline has just sent me a uh, an image from Kafka's Metamorphosis, uh-huh. where the guy turns into a giant cockroach, uh-huh. uh huh, and in this case, has also grown a giant cock. Roached. I don't think I would do that. Doesn't sound like me. <laughs> this is exactly the kind of behavior that you always engage in. <laughs> it's really funny, though, isn't it? I mean, correct. I hate it, though. Oh, God. I like face and jaw. is like getting tired from talking. So let's go to our famous segment, our favorite segment, our best segment, our most well-loved segment. Which Percy Jackson character is not cishet? Uh, something like that. Jane, give me your choice for this week. Uh, my choice for this week is uh, Nico. Nico. Nico, because I had heard about the stuff about him, like, having a crush on Percy. Uh-huh. Assumed he was gay from that. Didn't realize that Nico was actually bi. Uh-huh. Just some something I learned this week. Oh, yeah? You learned, you learned that? Wait. Wait. Yeah, um, we see, like, in Chapter 5 when he's talking to Juniper, he's, like, he's blushing and he's a bit nervous and he's, like... Just generally coming across like, oh yeah, he kind of has a crush on the tree lady. Hell yeah, Bicon. It's true. Nico Biangelo. <laughs> I, I actually I really like him. that. That's really good. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, this week I want to shout out... Uh, I'll give it to Clarice. How I many times her- have we given this to Clarice? Like three I'm not four. objecting, I'm just saying... I, it's so real this week is the problem. Like, it's always true and it's always correct. Actually, I want to give it to Michael Yu. 
Uh, okay. Michael Yu is uh, trans. He's uh, scrappy. I think he's like a scrappy gay trans guy. Uh-huh. This is my read. He's he's scrappy. He's he's got a quote unquote shrew like face. That's uh, true. From from always staring down the shaft of the arrow, or also I guess like lining up testosterone shots. Probably something like that. Hmm. I think he's twelve. Is that right? I have. I don't think they'd appoint a twelve-year-old as the leader, right? Wait, no. We learned that uh, Nico is twelve. Yeah. I thought he was like thirteen or fourteen by now. Wait, yeah, didn't Percy say that, like, oh, yeah, you know what, fuck it, the timeline doesn't matter. The well, characters no, or whatever think... the text says they are. Well, no, okay, but I think <laughs> we have talked a little bit, like, we weren't exactly sure. We knew that Nico was young. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't know his exact age. I think 12 makes decent enough sense. He was, like, 9 when we started out. Yeah, definitely. Or, like, 79, I guess. <laughs> That's actually... Sorry to just briefly dive back into something something i was wondering about because like we hear that you know it's possible that nico is the child of the big three that sets set to fulfill the prophecy uh-huh but he's like an octogenarian at this point ah uh, i don't know if that counts well i guess it's actually no you're right because the canonical thing is like it's not that you are sustained and don't notice time moving in the Lotus Hotel and Casino. It's that time literally moves slower in there. Yeah. So, never mind. But I get what you're saying, though. He's... Uh, but then I guess, age like, is a bit weird. What are you saying? It's your age relative to, like, your own personal time. So, really, all they need to do is kick Percy into a black hole and every problem is solved. I mean... <laughs> Calypso kind of already offered them that, huh? Oh yeah, true. But he was like, "No, I want to go back and let everyone die by not doing this." Correct. Listen, it's but, it's his fatal flaw. Yeah, he got that personal responsibility, or however it was phrased. Please, God, don't don't phrase it like that. We've had so much weird conservative shit in this series. I mean, I think that's. Literally explicitly how it was phrased. Was it? I don't remember, and I don't want to know if that's the case. Shall we wrap I mean, it up? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. Had a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, if you want to check us out, you can go to me scrambling desperately to find my phone so I can read this off. Uh, go to Twitter at Unwise Girls, where you can find us, all our show information, email, Discord link, uh, link to our Patreon, patreon.com slash unwisegirls. If you want to support us, uh, you can go there. Or you can leave us a rating review, tell a friend maybe. Telling a friend is always nice. Yeah. Um, but uh, for on our Patreon, for a dollar a month, you get a special role on our Discord marking you as a camp counselor. For $3, you get an even specialer role as a friend of Dionysus and access to all of our bonus content where we talk about things like uh, TV shows, about things like Hercules, we talk about things like uh, the Hadestown album, we talk about things like uh, fucking Homestuck. You're really relying on us having done that episode by the time this goes up, huh? I mean, this is like three weeks out, right? So Yeah. <laughs> uh, we talk about all sorts of stuff that you will enjoy, hopefully. Uh, and if you're feeling especially super generous, 
for $5, you get the special stroll of Aphrodite's Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special shout out at the end of episodes. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Oh, and a quick little plug that will be slightly outdated by the time this goes up. But uh, we have YouTube channel now. We we have become yes. YouTubers. Yes, we have. Which Jane our channel is, is just unwise girls, obviously. Yeah, Jane's releasing really great. Uh, like every week, we're getting uh, the the main episodes out there, and we're also Jane is occasionally when she's able to do like really cool highlights and compilation videos. Yeah. Uh. So thank you, Jane. Thank you. Um. But. I would also say um, I don't usually ask so directly other than the fact that I do every week, but <laughs> I, I I will be moving very shortly. Uh, I guess I will be in the process of moving by the time this episode comes out. Probably. So if, uh, if, if you've ever thought, hey, I would love to support the Unwise Girls, now is a really good time to because it, it wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Jacqueline uh, deserves money, IMO. Thank you. And so do you. You get half of it, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, and I think that, as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye. Bye.